You remember the Israelites were given the law, and for generations uh, uh, they tried to keep the law, and they were always having to, to do something to keep their forgiveness, to, for, to keep God to cover their sins, because uh, try as they may, they could not hold up to the law. They couldn't do it. And so year after year and celebration after celebration, they would have to make a sacrifice to cover over their sins because God was waiting and people were waiting. All of mankind was waiting and hoping for something greater than what we had, yeah, than what we had in the sacrificial system. Uh, and everyone was waiting. At the same time, the Israelites had the law. We, you know, Gentiles, people who were not Jewish, had no law. In fact, they were wandering around in darkness, right? That was us and our, our, the people that we come, have come from, typically. We're wandering around in darkness. We had no light. We didn't even have the light of the law. We didn't even have God's word uh, in, in those days, back before Christ came. But we're going to read a little bit this morning and uh, uh, from... Uh, from, uh, from Romans about this quandary. And uh, let me tell you what's going on in, in the book of Romans. In the first three chapters of Romans, Paul's writing, and he's making this huge argument that everyone is guilty and under the power of sin and under the power of death. And then he introduces right in the middle of it, right in the middle of, of Romans chapter 3, he introduces the gospel, and it's this breath of fresh air after a lot of uh, difficulty, a lot of condemnation, really, uh, in, in part of it. But um, w- the, the thing that's really interesting is his, he's going back and forth and he's arguing that the Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles and Israelites, are all the same alike under God. We both stand guilty before him. And he says, basically, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile. You are both guilty before God in our sin. Um, in... Uh, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 20, this is what he says. This is a, this is a collection of condemnation uh, against mankind. This is the kind of stuff that we all like to memorize and, and enjoy together, isn't it? Uh, but this is basically Paul writing, just saying there's no one who deserves, who, no one who's righteous, no one who's in right standing before God, no one who can say that, that I am good, you know, there's no one who can do that. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, as it is written, and he goes through, and I want to, let me tell you where these are from. These are from several, several passages in the Psalms and a passage from Isaiah where he starts to quote some of the Old Testament. And it says there, it says here in the very beginning, in, in, uh, in the middle of chapter 10, he says, he writes this, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Then in verse 12, All have turned away, they have become worth, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Verse 13, their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers is on their lips. Verse 14, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be held, declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. The law, Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. All right, let me stop there for just a moment. He goes and he lays out the law, rather, the law, 
And he says, no one will be declared righteous by following the law. Now, for generations, the Israelites had been practicing the law over and over and over, generation after generation, uh, you know, and it never changed. As a father went and made sacrifice for his family, so his son one day would go and make sacrifice for his family to cover over their sins from year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation. This is what those people did. But they knew the Old Testament and the law and the prophets spoke about something greater. They knew that something greater was promised. Amen. And, of course, that's what they all waited for and they all hoped for, and it's the hope of salvation. Um, Before we jump into that, though, I want you to remember, I want you to think back about what that must have been like to live as an Israelite, to live as someone who knew God, but, but, but there was always this, this separation because our sin was never completely dealt with. We were always, they, they were always having to make uh, sacrifice by an animal. They were always having to make sacrifice uh, over and over and over and over again. And try as they may, they couldn't uphold the law. They tried it for generations and nobody ever got it right. You know, no one ever got it right. And that's why Paul writes in, in verses 19 and 20 is that the, what the law says, it says to those who are under the law, it says to people who are following the law, the Jews, so that every mouth may be silenced. Why would, the, why would every mouth be silenced? Because the law says to us, you could never do it. You could never be righteous enough. You could never be good enough. You could never do it. There, you have nothing to boast in. You are never able to keep the law. You are never able to keep God's righteous requirements. You are never able to be as holy as him, and so you can close your mouth. Basically what it says, isn't it? And so you can close your mouth. There is no one who can stand before God and say, but wait, I don't deserve death and hell. Right? There is no one like that. But in, in the midst of all that, in the midst of the Israelites trying to keep the law, in the midst of the, of the Gentiles who had no law and no prophecy and no law and no, no word from God and who were lost in, in pagan worship, the Gentiles were, there was born a Savior in the middle of all that. And I love the verse it's going to say here in just a moment. You'll read it with me in just a moment. But it says, uh, I'm sorry, that, we read, that uh, Grace and Tim read just a moment ago where uh, in, in uh, Luke chapter 2, where, where Simeon was speaking, and, and he, said, he, said, uh, he said, in the sight of all people, you have prepared a light to the Gentiles and glory for the Israelites. In front of everyone, he's prepared this sacrifice God has. All right, great stuff. All right, now we've read through this, you know, this first part of Romans chapter 3, and it's just condemnation. It's that no one is righteous. Everyone, it's like, it's like a venom in their lips, their their mouths are open graves, they are quick to, 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 uh, to shed blood, and all this really horrible stuff. And then we have this incredible transition in the middle of Romans chapter 3, and, and Paul's been, been writing this kind of a diatribe, but he's been writing about, uh, about how none of us are righteous, all of us are faithless, no, all of us had, had separated ourselves from God, and in the middle of, verse, of chapter 3, in verse 21, he says, but now a righteousness from God has been made known. Oh, my goodness, it, just an incredible verse, an incredible interruption to the first three chapters of Romans. He says, but now a righteousness from God has been made known, as I paraphrase there just a little bit. A righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. All right, here's the deal. Here's the, deal. Here's the amazing thing. Gentiles were lost in the darkness of sin and pagan worship. 
the Israels were, were over and over again proving that no generation could keep up with the law. Over and over they tried and no one ever got it right. No one could ever hold up the righteous requirements of the, God, of the law that God required. And in the middle of that, God gave a righteousness. God demonstrated a righteousness. Uh, God uh, gave a righteousness apart from the law that it's now been made known. All right? This is it. This is huge. This was, was the event that would change all of human history. And matter of fact, we would change our calendars for this moment, this time. There is before Christ, and now there is after Christ. This is the moment, the pinnacle of history, of human history. Would God would intervene and say, no, I'm going to show you light. I'm going to show you glory, and you're all going to see it. It is the thing that you've been hoping for. It is the thing that you've been waiting for, and you're going to find it in my son, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. It's an incredible thing about God's interruption of human history and fulfilling the promises he had made even all the way back to Abraham. Matter of fact, let's talk about this. He says there, uh, he says there um, uh, now a righteousness, of, uh, but now a righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. I, I, uh, I've, I've gone through some verses with you about this just here in uh, last month, but, but I, I want to remind you that this promised Messiah had been promised thousands of years before Jesus even came on the scene. It's spoken back in very early biblical history. Um, uh, and uh, I guess one thing I should say is in uh, this thought about salvation coming from God is not a new one. Matter of fact, some people, some theologians think that the theme of the Bible is found in Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, where it says salvation comes from the Lord or salvation is of the Lord, Right? where it says basically salvation and righteousness never was intended. God never intended for you to work and to be good enough and to earn it yourself. Salvation has always been, even when God gave the Old Testament law, salvation always was going to come from God. It never was to come from us. Are you with me? That's why in Jonah, in his prayer, he says, he says salvation is of the Lord. It is not of mankind. It's not something that we do. It's not something that we ever could do or had the ability to do. Salvation comes from the Lord. All right. And, and uh, why does it say the law and the prophets testify? Back in uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Paul's actually going to use this verse in some of his writing to talk about how righteousness comes through faith. But in uh, Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. All right. That's the first one. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What did Abraham do? He believed. And what did the Lord do in response? He imputed. That's a good word. We're going to use that in just a minute. He gave him righteousness. He took it for his account. He took his belief, and he exchanged that and say, for your belief, I give you, I impute upon you, I impart to you righteousness that God did by Abraham. Now, he's going to talk here a little bit later, and uh, Paul's going to be writing, and he's going to say something like, uh, did, did Abraham become righteous because he followed the law? He says, no, Abraham, of course, didn't even have the law. That didn't even, didn't even come until Moses' time, which was generations later. Uh, Abraham was declared righteous because he, what, believed not because he earned it, not because he worked himself up, not because he worked really hard at, at uh, self-discipline, not because he did what the law required. He believed, and God credited to it to him as righteousness. Okay, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2 said, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, 
whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in his spirit is no deceit. All right. Really quickly, what does that mean in in Psalm chapter 32? Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. All right. I, I think we could all agree that we are blessed, right, when we're forgiven and when our sins are covered. But here's the thing about this verse is this is not what it would, you would think the people who under the law would write, right? right? People under the law, it would seem like if they were really working under the law, they would say, blessed is he who has worked hard enough in the law to obtain some degree of righteousness. But that's not what it says, though. It says, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Who does the forgiving and the covering? Is it the person? It's the Lord. It's God who's acting on behalf of that person who is covering over and forgiving sin. Even in the Psalms we say, And blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Who's the one not doing the counting? Is it because of the righteous deeds? Is it because of the goodness of the person? It's because the Lord has decided to cover over and to forgive sins and not to count it against us, yeah? Even from the Psalms. Are you with me? Follow along with me. Habakkuk, in the latter part of chapter 2, of, uh, chapter, uh, two verse 4, this is something else, of course, that Paul picks up on, but he says, but the righteous will live by working really hard at their righteousness. No, the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. Martin Luther, you know, uh, quoted this part when it, from Paul's writings, and he, he adds it. He says, For the righteous will live by faith alone, by faith alone. Martin Luther existed in a time that the Catholic Church was, was telling people uh, that, uh, okay, let's just leave it at that. Was living in a day, maybe some things haven't changed, but was living in the day that people were told in the Catholic Church, well, you must not only believe, but you also must give to the church so that we can build these incredible cathedrals. And you must give and you must pay penance for your sin. And if you've committed this sin, then you owe the church. You need to be, you need to be giving money uh, to the church. And, and if your relative died, if your, if your father or your mother died, you need to help get them out of purgatory. And the way you can do that is by giving more money to the church. See, and Martin Luther said, no, uh, no. Uh, this was the beginning of the, of the Protestant Reformation. He said, no, the righteous will live by faith alone. Nothing added to it. There's nothing additional for it. There's nothing that we have to do uh, in righteousness other than uh, believe. All right. But here's the deal. In all of these passages, here's what I want to get to this morning is that I want to get you to. This idea of faith being, cre- be, being transformed by God or credited by God as imputing righteousness on us is not a New Testament idea. It's an Old Testament idea too. This was the plan all along. And we had to wait throughout history for it to be revealed. And we waited in hope to see what God would do. But when God did it, here's how it, well, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Let me ask you this. In all of these verses, in all of these verses from Jonah to Abraham to the psalmist uh, to Habakkuk, the, 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 the prophet, who was, the, what were the people, uh, I'm sorry, let me ask that again. Who is giving the righteousness? It's the Lord. Is it the people earning it? No. What did they do? What did Abraham do to earn righteousness? He did nothing. He only, what? Believed. All right. He only believed. What did the recipients do to earn any of this? 
Nothing. See, you and I have received a gift through Jesus Christ that can't be earned. If it could have been earned, it would have been earned under the law. But remember back in, in the, the first part, in the, that last part of uh, that first section we read, it says that, therefore, no one will be declared righteousness in his sight by observing the law. I did it again. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin, right? If, if anyone could have been declared righteous, if, if we could have done it ourselves, the Israelites would have pulled it off. Some generation of the Israelites would have pulled it off, but we can't get there ourselves. We can't earn it ourselves. It is only by God imputing or imparting righteousness on us that we receive it. Are you with me? This is not a New Testament idea. This is throughout the Old Testament over and over again that we see God had in store a plan to give righteousness like a gift to mankind. Yeah? And we waited, people waited for generations, 2,000 years, people waited to see it. And it all happened one day in Bethlehem when a baby was born and his parents named him Jesus because the angels told him to. All right. Um, let's continue, though. That's, uh, that's verse 21. Verse 22 says this. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. These were revolutionary ideas when Paul was writing them. You know, when, when the church was just beginning to understand uh, that, that righteousness came through faith and not anything else, not by trying to observe the law. And the other revolutionary part of this was absolutely that there was no difference because the Jews had always been the ones who were God's people. And the Gentiles were like everyone else. We're God's people and they're not. It's us and everyone else, you know. But they were just learning that God maybe had intended for Jesus Christ uh, to be salvation for all of mankind. And so these were revolutionary thoughts for the, for the Israelites, for the Jews, to, to learn, to hear that there is no difference, uh, that this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. All right, verse 23 says this, For all have sinned, you all know this one, you all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every one of us, the very best that humankind has ever produced, the best of the best, the most righteous, the most uh, godly, the most, uh, the most humanitarian, the biggest giver, the most generous person you can think of, every single one of us has fallen short of the glory of God. None of us ever made it, you know? I, I, I like to use a little physical illustration. You know, it's like if you really, really trained hard, Maybe one day someone could actually jump so high that they could leave the, the, the earth's atmosphere and touch the moon. Is, will that ever happen in human history? No. No, we don't work like that. We can never do enough. We can never be good enough because we're under the power of sin. We'll never be able to do enough to, to, uh, to, de to be declared righteous, to be made righteous before God, except that through this gift that comes through faith. And verse 24 Really great stuff. All right, are you with me? And as, let's read in verse, uh, verse 23 again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, in verse 24, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I love that verse. Are you, I love that verse. Are you with me? No? Are you with me? Oh, this is so important. This is the hope of Christmas. This is a hope of salvation. This is the hope that people, all of mankind, waited for for generations to see to happen in Jesus Christ. And here's the amazing thing is that you have people around you at your work and you have neighbors who still don't get this. They don't get the gospel yet. 
they don't understand this. So forgive me, but don't sit there this morning and act like this is old hat. This is amazing stuff. This is mercy and grace that the world never even deserved or expected before that were shown by God. And there are people out there that work and rub elbows with you and go to school with you who don't understand it yet, who need to know it, who need to hear it from your mouth. And this is a great season. This is a great time of year to express it to them, is that this was the hope of all mankind that we celebrate. This was the hope of salvation. This is the hope that we had. This was it. This, was, this is the whole caboodle. This is the, the whole pinnacle of everything is that we waited for this moment. And sure enough, God brought salvation. God brought righteousness. God brought right standing and justification. I'm going to go into some of those theological words in just a moment. But he brought all those things through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why we have Christmas. Yeah? All right. Let's, talk, let's take a little time going through verse 24. What does it mean to be justified? Um, I heard a pre- preacher one time say it is The word justified, think of it this way. It means, think of it as meaning, just as if I'd never sinned. What would it be like, what would your relationship with God be like as, as if you had never sinned? I would be in right standing with him. I would be not guilty before him. I would be, in fact, righteous before God just as if I'd never sinned. Well, here's the deal, is that uh, because of Jesus Christ, we are justified, how? Freely. What does that mean? It was a gift. It was just given to you. You did nothing. You and I did nothing to earn it or to deserve it. We received this gift of hope that we would be forgiven, that we would know salvation, that we could be in relationship in relation with God again like they were in the garden. We could have that kind of relationship with God again because of what Jesus Christ has done. To be justified is, is a terminology that, that was used in, in, in legalese, in legal speaking that day. Let me tell you what it means. It means two things. It means two things. It means first it means not guilty but righteous. Are you with me? It means not guilty but righteous. It means that because of what Jesus Christ had done, I can walk into the throne room of God and were it set up like a court case where God was sitting there as the judge and Jesus Christ was there and he had done on my behalf and made me righteous and just before God, instead of looking at me and God saying, I know your lifetime of sin and corruption and selfishness and I condemn you to hell that you deserve, instead of that, we walk into his courtroom And he looks at Jesus Christ, and he sees him instead of me, and he says, not guilty, but righteous. Not only are we not guilty before God, but we are justified through Jesus Christ, and we're declared righteous by by Jesus Christ's life and his sacrifice. It's an incredible thing. It's an amazing thing. It's better than I had ever hoped, you know? It's one thing to just have our sins forgiven, but are you with me? Is that Jesus' life is imputed on us. Because we believed in Jesus Christ just like Abraham believed God and it's credited to him as righteousness and it's credited to us as righteousness. See, righteousness came from God and he imputes it or imparts it or covers us with it. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing trait, isn't it? Here, Lord, all of my sin. And he says, here, all of Jesus' righteousness. You remember the prodigal son comes home and his father embraces him. And what's the next thing he does? He takes his robe 
right? And he puts it over his son. Remember the story? He puts it over his son. He covers his son up with, with, his, with this robe. It's a picture of what God's righteousness is like. See, all of that son's, all the prodigal son's sin and all of his shame and all of his humiliation and all of his embarrassment is put away when the father comes and he puts a robe around him and he covers it all. And he calls him in. He says, you're my son. That's God's righteousness. It's like a blanket. It's like a robe that he covers us with. And he says, you're not only not guilty, but because of what Jesus Christ did, you're righteous before me. That's the hope of Christmas, isn't it? That's the hope, is that I'm not dead and done away with in my sin. And that when I see my selfishness, when I see my sin, and I can't seem to get away from it, I was never supposed to earn it on my own anyway. It was imparted to me because I just simply believed that Jesus Christ did what he said he would do. And he paid for all of my sin, every single one. And he imputes or imparts, God imparts his righteousness on me. I want to practice a little something together. Would you do with this for me? We're, we're, we're very few in number this morning, but I would like to, I want this to stick in your mind about this word justification, about what we've received by Jesus Christ. So I would like this side of the room to say, not guilty. Are you with me? Not guilty. And this side of the room to say, but righteous. One more time. But righteous. Okay. You and I, we wander into sin, right? Before we knew Jesus Christ, we lived in it. It's all that we knew. And when he came to Jesus Christ, and he covered over our sin, and we, he, we accepted him, or better said, he accepted us into his family. And then one day we're going to stand before God, and he's going to declare us, not guilty, but righteous. Later on in my life, I'm walking as a believer, right? I've now known what it is, the grace and the mercy of God, and yet I continue to sin. I, I, it's a struggle for me. I don't want to. The things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do, right, from Romans chapter 7. But I, I keep struggling with sin, and I start, you know, I, I grow a little bit, but I keep struggling with sin. I keep struggling with this sin, and I wonder what in the world God's going to do with me. And in shame and embarrassment, I, I delay going to God. I don't spend time with him because I'm embarrassed. I think there's something must be wrong with me. But he would say to me, he would declare me, he would say, you are but righteous. That's right. You see, even after we become Christians, our hope is not that I'm going to get so good that now I'm going to have my own righteousness. No, 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 no. It was always will be Christ's righteousness in you and on you and around you and covering you and imparted to you and imputed to you. It has always been him. It's the hope of Christmas. It's the hope of salvation is that it doesn't matter. I can't attain it myself, and I never could, and God never expected me to. He always had a plan to impart righteousness to me and bring me into right relationship with him, and it was just because I believe him at his word that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for sins, that it's all taken away. All of my sin is taken away, and I'm declared not guilty, but righteous. You get it? Are you with me? It's better than we deserve. That's why we call it grace, right? It's better than we'd ever hoped. It, 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 it's huger than we ever would have dreamed. It's bigger than we ever would have asked God for, isn't it? You and I would go in like paupers and crawl into the throne room of God and just say, just forgive me. But he doesn't just forgive. 
He imparts righteousness to us, the righteous life of Jesus Christ. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus Christ's life uh, instead of us. It's an incredible thing. I would never, you know, can you imagine having the, the guts to go into God and say, I don't want to just not be guilty. I want to be declared, I want to have the righteous life of Jesus Christ, please. No one of us would, would, would think of asking such a great thing, but that is the grace and the mercy and the majesty of our God that through his son, he imparts righteousness on us. Amen. Do you know people whose lives are messed up? I know some of you are sitting there saying, yeah, that's me. But you know people who are walking in such disarray in their lives because they're in guilt and they're in shame over the things that they've done and they can't get over it. And you see in their life that they're trying to compensate for the mistakes that they've made in their lives. My wife and I were just talking about a couple the other day that are, are just in so much, so, so much disarray because they're still trying to cover for an old, old sin. You know, it's a sad thing, isn't it? It's a terrible thing. But you and I know people around us, and we don't, I know we don't talk about this. I, don't, I know you don't like sit around the, the coffee table at your work or in your school and say, say something like, well, you know, how, how messed up is your life because of your own sin? Uh, but, but at the same time, people have to know is that this is the hope of the gospel, is that now there is a righteousness from God that has been made known. And it's through this one that we celebrate his birth, Jesus Christ. We've been waiting. We had waited for, for generations, for thousands of years for him to be revealed that we might know God's great salvation. And it is very simply this. You believe in him and he'll take away all your sins and declare you righteous before him. Not guilty, but righteous. Incredible thing. It's amazing. More than I'd ever asked. More than you would have ever asked. An incredible thing. The thing I think it is is that I think people think that, uh, but you can't. He can't. That can't possibly be true. It can't possibly be that easy. God can't possibly that be that good. Surely He knows what I've done. Surely He knows that I don't deserve it. Yes, all that is true. Exactly. You never could. You never will. You never were able to. But there's hope in Christmas. There's hope of salvation. There's hope in the gospel that none of us were, supposed to, were, were able to be good enough. It was all because of Jesus Christ. We need to finish verse 24. Um, and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Justified by his grace. We are declared not guilty but righteous. But righteous. This last term, I'm, we need to talk about the term redemption, then I'll let you go. But this last term, redemption, that's borrowed from the slave trade. Someone would make a, someone could go to a, a slave market where they were selling slaves, and you know, someone could make a payment and buy the release of a slave, right? That's called redemption. It's called redemption. And here's the picture, is that you and I were sold like slaves to sin. We were hopeless there was nothing we could do. We couldn't get out of it. We couldn't be good enough. It didn't matter what we did. We were sold like slaves to sin, and we were in bondage to sin for all of our lives and for the rest of our lives. And Jesus came, and by his sacrifice, he paid the ransom, the payment to buy us back, to redeem us from that bondage and that sin. And he bought us out by his sacrifice, by the sacrifice of his life. He bought us out. He redeemed us from sin and from death. Yeah, that's an incredible picture, isn't it?
an amazing thing that, that uh, God inspired Paul to write here. But we have been redeemed. We have been bought back. Let me say this. There are people around you who need to understand the gospel because it is not human nature, is it? This is not what we think Christmas is about. This isn't what people outside of, of the gospel think that the gospel is about. They think that the gospel or, or, or Christianity is all about following a bunch of rules and trying to be good enough. But what Paul writes here is that there is no such thing as being good enough. No one can be good enough. Forget it. No one could be. Righteousness and goodness comes only from this, believing Jesus Christ for what he said. Believing Jesus Christ for what the Bible says he did, that he paid the penalty for all of our sin. And we can be imparted like a robe with his righteousness for all of our lives. And one day we'll stand before God and he'll declare us not guilty, but righteous. It's an incredible thing. There are people around you who need to be released from their sin and their bondage. There are people around you who don't understand. They think that Christianity, and maybe they've tried it before, but they could never be good enough, right? They miss, they miss the whole point of the gospel. This is it. But now a righteousness from God has been made known. And it is through this one that we celebrate Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you tell them? Would you, when you see their life in a wreck, when you see them trying to cover up their sin by continually making more mistakes, you know, to cover up their guilt and their shame and their embarrassment, would you remind them? Would you tell them? Would you speak a word to them and say, uh, but w there's another way. You can't be good enough. You can never take that sin back. But there is one who will put that sin away forever. There is one who will cover you over with righteousness, and you'll be freed from it forever. Would you speak to them? Would you seek them out? Would you find someone who needs to know what Christmas is actually about this year? Would you do that? Would you encourage each other when you see someone who's struggling in sin to bring them back and say, you're not to be enslaved again to sin. You've been set free from that. Now, you walk like a free man. You walk like a woman who's been set free, and you walk in the righteousness that's been bought for you through Jesus Christ. Yeah? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you is really not enough, Lord. We need, we need our whole life and, uh, and uh, the better part of eternity uh, to just to live a life of praise and thanks. What you have done on our behalf, Lord, is, is bigger and greater. When we hoped in you, Father, we got back more than we ever would have possibly imagined. Not only were you gracious enough to forgive our sins, but you justified us before yourself. You took our little bit of faith that Jesus Christ, just that little, very simple, childlike faith that we had in Jesus Christ, and you took it, and you not only forgave our sins, but you declared us righteous before you because of what Jesus Christ has done. And Lord, we're just, we're enamored with you. We're, we're, we're blown away by your goodness. We're blown away that you would show us such grace and mercy and love. Uh, what a great love you have for us. What great mercy. What, what unspeakable uh, a goodness, Lord, you have and that you show us. Father, I pray this Christmas that we would remember the hope of salvation, that we remember the hope of the gospel, the hope of Christmas, is that we were never good enough. We were never able to, to be good enough, but you've made us good through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for those people around us who are trying to cover a life of sin, who are trying to cover mistakes that they've made that can never be taken back. 
Lord, we pray for them. May they see in us, and may we speak words to them of the gospel that no one is good enough. There is only one who came who could put away sin, and his name is Jesus Christ, and we celebrate his birth. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you with our lives, I pray. In Jesus Christ's great name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Y'all have a great week. Enjoy now. I know it's busy time of the year. I know you kids got tons of stuff, and there's shopping, and there's cooking, and all that stuff. But in the middle of all of it, don't forget why we do it. It's for hope. It's for the hope of Christmas. Amen.